Hey, thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope that you'll be able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope that this message will be an inspiration to you and that you'll find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Anyway, we're going to speak out of two books this morning. Number one is her newest book, The Godmothers, and the other one is called The Beta Satan. And so I want to open up with a scripture here out of the book of Genesis. This is where it all began when God created mankind. And he made this statement. He said, well, Genesis says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion. Then God saw everything that he made and indeed it was very good. You know, God says, take dominion. He says, multiply. How many of you know that this cannot happen with the people that are divided? It's impossible. If you look at Genesis chapter 11, there were a bunch of ungodly people. These were not saved people. They said, we are going to do an impossible thing. We're going to build a tower into the heavens. That was utterly impossible. But yet God, this is what God said. The people have determined to do this and they are one. And they have one language. And because they are one, and because they have one language, Nothing they determined to do will be impossible. Why? Because we were made in the image and likeness of God. And so there is a power in unity. The enemy's number one device for the church and for this nation and for this earth is to get us divided. That is his number one weapon. Because a house divided cannot stand. A nation divided cannot stand. A marriage divided cannot stand. A church divided cannot stand. Jesus said that. Okay, no politician said that. No psychologist said that. Jesus said, a house divided will not stand. In a house, you can put anything in there, any organization, any entity. And so the enemy's number one, you know, even George Washington said, may this nation never have two parties. Why did we end up morphing into two parties? Because it was the enemy that wants us divided. Good preaching, John. Amen. Thank you so much. Um, can I, can I, I say something? Yep. Uh, one doesn't mean same. I mean, we can be different and be one. We need to actually be different to be one. Because male is different than female. Female is different than male. There are strengths in women that are not in men, and there are strengths in men that are not in women. And there are strengths in every single culture, and there are strengths in every single age group, and we all need to be one. We need to figure out the one that we're going to glorify, and we need to make him our focus, because if Jesus is our focus, then we are all headed in the same direction. And as divided as we are right now, I believe that God can make us one. So it used to be, it used to be when I sat down at the table and we found out that we disagreed, we were still family. We were still covenant brothers or sisters. We were still Americans. Now today, if I find out you don't agree with me, now you're at my enemy. Dualism is absolutely rising to the surface in this nation and its object is to destroy. And so when you look at it from the scriptural point of view, which we're going to do this morning, you can't be surprised. 
Because when the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, what are going to be some of the signs that will occur, that will indicate that you're just about to come back for your bride? He began to list these signs, and I want to focus in on one of them. First of all, how many of you believe we're living in the, day, the days of his return? I mean, he said we'd know the season. We wouldn't know the day or the hour. we know the season. It's the season, okay? But then Jesus makes a statement. He said one of the big signs that's going to occur is he said many will be offended. Now, the Greek word there for Wait, many. Pause there. Yep. Many will be offended. What does that mean? Tell them. Tell them. No. I've been listening to this. You need to say it. Go ahead. Many means majority. I love it that you say that. Do, you, do we live in an offended culture right now? Because you can say anything and people will hear it through their pattern of offense. I posted a scripture, John, and somebody was like, how dare you say that? I'm like, it was just in the Bible. It was just, it was just something from Proverbs. People are so on edge. So the many is the majority. The Greek word, and she's, she's correct, the Greek word literally means majority. So over 50%, and I can say this, after preaching on offenses all over the world the last 25 years, because this book came out 25 years ago, it's almost sold 2 million copies, all right, worldwide. I have seen in every conference, every church, with the exception of one or two, um, 50, usually 70 to 80% of the people responding saying, I'm offended. Didn't even realize they were offended until the word of God exposed it. Now, the thing that's really alarming here is Jesus isn't talking about society. He's talking about the church. So when he said to his disciples, many are going to be offended, the majority are going to be offended, he's, he's talking about inside the four walls of the church. I'm going to prove it to you in a minute. But I just need to drop that bomb on you immediately, okay? And he said, what's going to happen is they'll betray one another and then they'll hate one another. Now, this is a progression. An offended person will eventually betray. And if a betrayal is not dealt with, it will ultimately lead to hatred. You say, John, where do you get that from? Well, Proverbs 18, 19 says this, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. Now, what did strong cities have around them? They had walls. What would walls do? They would keep the people that you didn't like out. Well, the New Testament doesn't... Wait, and it also yep. kept people out that you felt owed you something. Yeah, that's true. So you couldn't enter the city till you paid your debt. And so it kept Ooh, out the people good. that were unsafe, and it kept out the people that you felt owed something. I just wanted to add to that. I love it. And so if you look at the New Testament, it doesn't call them walls, it calls them strongholds. Paul says for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We're not in a battle... We're not in a playground, guys. We're in a battleground. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, that means fleshly, but they're mighty in God to pulling down of strongholds. What are the strongholds? He tells you. Casting down every reasoning and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So what are these walls that we build? When we're hurt, when we're wounded, when we're offended, we begin to build thought processes that are contrary to the will of God. Now the heart of God is to give, give, give. Love always seeks to give. But offended person now seeks to protect, protect, protect. So now if push comes to shove, you're a candidate for betrayal. What is a betrayal? It is when I seek my benefit or protection at the expense of one I have a relationship with, a covenant relationship with. So if I'm offended, I'm now seeking to protect. I'm going to protect myself at the expense of you if push comes to shove. That will ultimately lead to hatred. 
Now, many people in the church don't understand hatred. They associate it with anger. To be really honest with you, when we see people angry and yelling at each other, we're like, there's still hope. They're fighting for the relationship. Real hatred, as Jesus is, is discussing here on the scripture that we've got up before you, real hatred is the Greek word which means loveless, which means it's an absolute vacuum void of love. Absalom hated Ammon, therefore he neither spoke good nor evil. He wasn't emotional. He wasn't angry. He was past that. He was void of love, therefore he spoke neither good nor evil. And so then the very next verse, Jesus makes this statement. He says, and then false prophets will rise up and deceive many. Now, who are the many the false prophets are going to deceive? The many that are offended. So you know what that tells me. And remember, false prophets are wolves in sheep's clothing, not wolves in shepherd's clothing. What that tells us is that an offended, ground, offended heart is the breeding ground of deception. And there's only one problem with deception, and that's this. It's deceiving. The person that is deceived believes with all their heart they're right, when in reality, they're wrong. And that's really scary. When I was offended, and I'm not writing this out of just theory, somebody who I deeply loved and respected hurt me to the level of wounding me. And I remember for a year and a half, I believed with all my heart I was right in my tormented thinking, thinking because Jesus said, if you don't forgive, you're turned over to the tormentors. I experienced that. And I thought I was so right, and I isolated myself. Proverbs 18, verse 1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and rages against all wise judgment. You know what's scary? I still was a member of a huge church. I still had a family. But the isolation was occurring here. Now you start thinking people are against me. You become almost a spiritual vagabond. Instead of one who is seeking community, you are now someone who is seeking protection and you're tormented. And so Jesus said, this deception, this offense, betrayal, hatred is going to morph into this. Look what he goes on to say in the very next verse. And because lawlessness will abound. Now, a lot of people don't understand lawlessness. Lawlessness is the Greek word anomia, which simply means this. You're not submitted to the authority of God. Well, when you've built thought processes and reasonings that are contrary to the love and will of God, you now have entered into lawless thinking. And he said, because this lawlessness will abound, the love of many. Do you notice how many times you're seeing the word many? You've seen the word many five times in the last three verses. Jesus is emphasizing here, the love of many will grow cold. Now, the word there for love is not phileo. Phileo is affectionate love that is used scripturally to define all humanity. The unbelievers can have phileo and believers can have phileo. However, agape is a Greek word that is only used to describe the love of God, the love that is shed abroad in a believer's heart when they are born again. Jesus said the world cannot receive this love. It's impossible. The word he uses here for love is not phileo. The word he uses is agape. So what Jesus is saying is all of what he just described is going to happen inside the church. 
And because of the agape love of God grow, uh, a growing cold, people's hearts will be cold. And I will tell you this. I was in ministry. I was seeing people saved. But ministry became more of an occupation. The passion for life, the passion for God, the passion for his people was gone. And it slowly happened to the point where I didn't realize it. Okay. I'm sorry. We're not used to preaching together. Um, <clears throat> what do you want me to say? Oh, it's okay. I'll keep going. I thought you might have had something. You said something so beautiful about deception last service that I wanted to make sure that, that, that but that's all right. So I'm going to prove to you in the next verse that we're still talking about the church here because in the very next verse, Jesus makes this statement, but he who endures the end shall be saved. You never say to an unbeliever, if you endure the race, you're going to be saved. He hasn't started the race. The only one that started the race is people that have entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we can see this is an epidemic problem in the last days. And I'm, I'm going to say this. The person that can hurt you the deepest is the person that is closest to you. Write that down. David made this statement. He said, hey, it wasn't an enemy that reproached me. I expect this behavior from an enemy. But it was you, my brother, my equal, my companion. We went into the house of God together. We heard the word of God together. You're the one that has risen up against me. In Psalm 55, David says this. So in other words, we set ourselves up for an offense because we expect certain behavior out of people. Let me give you an example. In, you know, because of writing this book in 25 years of ministry, I have heard so many Christians walk up to me and go, I think the world treats me better than most Christians. I have heard that statement. Has anybody ever heard that statement? I'm just curious. Has anybody ever said to you, the world treats me better than most Christians or than some Christians? Put your hands up. See how many hands up? I'm not, the, I'm not alone here. Why is that? Because our expect, let, let's say this is ground zero. Our expectation on the world is zero. So if the world does that much for me, they've been that much of a blessing. But my normal expectation on a Christian is here. So if the Christian does this much, exactly what the world did, they've offended me by this much. My expectation on my spouse is about here. So if my spouse does this much, they've offended me that much. And my expectation on my senior pastor is about there. So what happens? We set ourselves up to be offended by our expectations. Sure. You know, one of the things I'm noticing in culture right now is people are just on edge. I don't think isolation is a good thing for people. And so I'm so thrilled that you guys have come out here in community and connection. Yeah. yeah. I know that takes courage for a lot of people. But you know, one of the things that breeds an isolation is deception. Because when we are isolated, we aren't having the right conversations with different people. And so what you see right now in our culture is there's algorithms that if you start looking up one thing on this area, you're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for the conservative right, that's all you're gonna get fed. Or if you say, no, I'm gonna go for the liberal left, that's all you're gonna get fed. And the truth is, as children of God, we're not supposed to be part of a party. 
we're supposed to be part of a kingdom. And so we're supposed to be on a higher narrative. And the truth is there's good things about the Democratic Party. And there's horrible things. And there's good things about the Republican Party. And then there's horrible things. But there's nothing bad with the kingdom. And the kingdom of God means that actually we have a higher narrative. And we're getting trapped in the smaller questions when we have the bigger answer. And if you notice that Jesus would never get caught up in the arguments. Like they came to, you know, I always think it's so funny. You know, here's Joshua at the battle of Jericho. And God sends a warring angel. And Joshua says to him, hey, whose side are you on? And what does he say? I'm not on anybody's side. I am the captain of the army of the Lord of hosts. And you and I are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. Don't you make anybody make you choose earthly sides when you have a heavenly mandate. We need to be people who begin to speak the same language. And you know, John was talking about what happened in the Tower of Babel being impossible. Well, we're never going to all say the same things unless we say what God is saying. And we got a mess right now. So I don't want to talk about the mess. I want to prophesy the answer. And so I feel like God's people are being anointed. God says in the last days there's going to be a mess, but he says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. But instead, we've got sons and daughters criticizing. And criticizing never builds anything. We need a generation that says, we're in a dark tunnel right now, but I'm going to prophesy light. I'm going to move us out of this place of darkness into a place of truth and life and light. And that will not happen when we just echo what the culture is saying. And that will not happen when we engage with these kind of conversations. Does there need to be change? Absolutely. But attacking one another is not going to bring the change that we need to see. <laughs> Lifting up Jesus is going to bring the change. And so, you know, John and I are talking about this offended, highly agitated, cultural dynamic that's in our world right now. If you look at everything, it's men against women. It's Republicans against Democrats. It's young people against old people. It's all the races divided with all the races. And that is why God is saying, hey, 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 every tribe, every nation, every people, that is gonna, who's gonna come before me. We need to bring our portion and, and not get caught up in criticizing how other people are handling things. You know, I, I, uh, I have a lot of contact with younger people and a lot of the younger people are saying things like we need to flip the table. And so they're saying all these different things and criticizing all the different organizations and deconstructing everything. And I just want to say something. Jesus flipped a table because it was his to flip. It was his father's table. You don't go around flipping other people's table. You flip your own table. You let say, God, what's wrong in my life? And you flip your own table and you deal with your own idols rather than attacking everybody else. Because when I'm pointing at other people, I'm missing what God wants to do in and through my life. So good. So good. So if you look at... Jesus, Isaiah 42 tells us that Jesus never lifted his voice in the street. He came to a very oppressed nation. I mean, Rome was oppressing Israel. And to make matters worse, you got 
Jews that are tax collectors collecting for Rome and they're padding their own pockets. And so you've got this very oppressed but situation, but Jesus never spoke to the government of Rome. He never did. Why? Because he knew true freedom doesn't come outwardly by the government. It comes here. And I'm going to tell you something. As a guy who is tormented as a minister of the gospel because of unforgiveness and offense, I wasn't free. You would have looked at me and said, I'm free. I'm, an, you know, I'm American. I'm making enough money to take care of my family. I wasn't free. So, so, so this guy comes up to Jesus and says, hey, my brother has stole my inheritance. And Jesus goes, who's made me an arbitrator over you? Why? Because the kingdom of God's within. So Jesus doesn't talk about the inheritance. He talks about what? Covetousness. Because what's got this guy bound is covetousness in his heart. Jesus said, you're all upset about them, the, the Romans' law of you having to walk their horse one mile? Go two miles. Why do you want to be a slave when you can be a servant? Because freedom's here. Are you seeing this? Do you know what's really, you know really mind-blowing to me? The thought hit me recently. Paul never said, masters, give up your slaves. He never said it. He said, masters, be kind to your slaves. And he said, slaves, submit to your masters. Why? Because the slave is Christ's free man. I've met, I have preached in prisons. I just preached in the largest prison in the United States two years ago. It's called Angola in southern Louisiana. 6,200 inmates. I found more freedom in that prison than I do in many churches. Why? They got free here. They got bars. They got restriction, restricted behavior. But I saw more joy and more. You know what the last request to me was when I was leaving that prison preaching to those men? Would you please? This was the guy raises his hand and goes, would you please pray for the people that we killed and wounded and offended. I'm like, this is amazing. You're a free man. And just in case that anybody would misinterpret it, even though Paul didn't say to free the slaves, we do not endorse slavery. We do not endorse okay. slavery. So just no. in case. But, I'm, but no, no, the whole point, you're totally missing what I'm saying. No, the no, point I just is, to make sure. No, no, I'm saying if you see it that way. Slavery is wrong. The point is freedom comes here. We're in charge, yeah. Freedom comes here. And this is what we are called to do as believers is set people free here because the kingdom of God is within. <laughs> the kingdom of God doesn't come with observation. It's not on the streets. It's not in the government buildings. It's not. The kingdom of God is within. Lisa and I just went to Vietnam. The government, we are the most published authors in the entire nation of Vietnam, secular or Christian. The government's read everything we've written. Okay, millions of resources in Vietnam. The government invited us to come. We're sitting at dinner with five pastors. They're missing teeth. You wanna know why they're missing teeth? Because they were tortured for their faith. They had spent more time in prison the last 20 years than they had with their families free. But yet they radiated. Lisa and I looked at each other after the dinner with those five pastors and said, what are we doing here teaching them? They should be teaching us. They radiated, they glowed because they knew the kingdom of God was within and it didn't matter what their government was doing to them. It didn't matter what society was doing to them. If they were in jail, they were going to be free. If they were going to be out in society, they were going to be free. They were going to serve Jesus because nobody, nobody can put somebody who's free in a prison.
as I, you know, you're looking at two people that maybe have only preached together 20 times, okay? Now, when we get into marriage tonight, we know exactly, we've done this so many times with marriage, but right now, I'm just making sure because I love listening to Lisa preach. So, so, so let's, 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 let's reduce this down and make it simple here. Some of you are sitting here thinking, you don't know what they did to me. Come on, let's be honest. You ever heard somebody say that to you just don't know what they did to me. Come on. Let me see your hands. You ever heard somebody say that? Let me see. see your, come on. I don't want to pray for you for lying now. Come on. How many of you have ever said that? Don't put your hand up. <laughs> no, let me say this. You don't know what you did to Jesus. A person who cannot forgive is a person that has forgotten what they've been forgiven of. I'm going to say it one more time. A person who cannot forgive is a person that's forgotten what they've been forgiven of, or they never realized it. I was in prayer a couple months ago, and I just started weeping because I said, Jesus, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine what you left to come to this earth. I can't even imagine it. I mean, these angels, these massive, they're seraphim are crying out, holy, holy, holy. They're not singing a song. They're responding to what they see every moment. Another facet of his glory is revealed. And they're crying holy so loud. They're shaking a building that can seat over a billion people, angels and people. I mean, it's more real than what we live in, folks. And they're not saying, I've been doing this for 10 trillion years. Can I have a break? Can you put it in a replacement here? Because I want to go see some other places in creation. They don't want to be anywhere else. Jesus is at the right hand of his father, and he chooses to leave. See, let me make this even clearer. When Adam sinned against God, God the Father could have turned to the Son in that unimaginable paradise and said, they chose the devil over us? Let them all go to hell and burn in a lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever, and let's go over and start another universe and create somebody who really loves us. He would have been perfectly just. Because our just reward for what we did to God was to burn in a lake of fire for eternity. And if he would have chosen to do that, he would have been perfectly just. Now, no one in this place has ever had someone do something to you worse than burning in a lake of fire forever and ever and ever. Yet Jesus freely forgave you before you ever said, I'm sorry. When he hung on that cross and he said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He wasn't speaking just to the soldiers that nailed the nails in his hands or the Sanhedrin. He was speaking to the next generation, the next generation, and the next generation, right down to me, because my sin put him on that cross. He forgave me. I've heard Christians say to me, I'll forgive them when they apologize. What if Jesus would have waited for you to say, I'm sorry, before he forgave you? You and I would have been in hell forever. I mean, we've only got a few minutes. I've got to be as blunt as I can. Because you know what I've noticed? If you don't speak the truth boldly, people don't get free. They get comforted. Their soul gets comforted, but they don't get free. It takes a radical confrontation with truth to set a person free. The person who cannot forgive is a person that never realized what they've really been forgiven of. This is why we are told in Scripture, this is amazing. 
We are told in Scripture, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And I want to say something there. You know, we all have gaps in our lives. We all have this difference between the way things are and the way they could be or the way they should be. And we live in a culture where people are looking for the gaps instead of ways of closing them. And we are going to need to be those people who are willing to stand in the gap and put our hands on one side and our hands on the other side and begin to close the gap. Matthew 5, 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. When we walk in wisdom and kindness and we reconcile other people, we'll be recognized as children of God. Not just, oh, they go to church, but whoa, what, there's somebody here that is from another realm who is actually looking beyond my actions and understanding the pain behind that problem. So I believe that if we can start by healing what we are feeling as a gap right now, we can become those who close the gaps for others. And here, here's, here's the amazing thing. Jesus set us an example to do what? He forgave those who insulted him. He didn't insult in return. Those who persecuted him, he didn't persecute in return. Those who struck him, he didn't strike him back. This is what he means by turn the other cheek. He's saying you're having a willingness to give even when somebody has taken from you, struck you. I was deeply, deeply wounded and I couldn't get out of it. I remember for praying and praying and praying for months to forgive and I couldn't get free. And one day I said, God, why, why, why am I still tormented? I have prayed, I have forgiven, I have forgiven by faith, but I'm still tormented. I kept thinking, how can he be so blessed? How can God touch his life, do the things he does when he's done this not only to me but others? He's hurt so many people. And I thought I was so right, but yet I was so wrong. I was wounded. And there is a scripture that Paul says in Acts 24, verse 16. He said, and herein do I exercise to always have a conscience free from offense towards God and towards man. And that the, takes work out. <laughs> exercise that is working work. out. I'm a guy that goes to the gym four times a week. I try to do it four times a week. I understand exercise. And God spoke to me and he said, you got to exercise. You're wounded. See, when a guy gets injured in football, he injures his knee, what does he do? He goes through physical therapy, which is for focused exercise to get that knee back stronger than what it was before he got injured. Yep. And God said to me, you need to exercise. You need, and I said, how do I exercise? And he said, read Matthew 5. And I go to Matthew 5, and it took me all the way till the 44th verse, but Jesus makes a statement that's unreal. I mean, it's so unreal to our society. He said, but I tell you, pray for anyone who mistreats you. In another version, he says, abuses you. So that doesn't Lord, mean you stay in the abuse. That means you can pray from a distance. Yes, amen. 
You do not, David left the palace when he was, when Saul tried to make him a wall hanging, okay? You don't stay in the abuse. So I got up from the table when, he, when, when I read that and I started praying for him and I said, God bless him in Jesus' name. The next day, oh yeah, by the way, bless him in Jesus' name. The next day, if you can bless him. But you know what's sad is five weeks later, I was still tormented. I mean, tormented. See, I'm talking about right here. Oh, I gave the appearance to everybody I was free. I mean, I'm preaching, man. They're introducing me. I knew you weren't free. My wife knew I wasn't free. And so then I'm on another three-day fast. And God speaks to me and said, read Psalm 35. I had no idea what I was going to read until I got to the 11th verse. But David says, fierce witnesses have risen up against me. They're evil. They're evil people. And they have rewarded me. They've paid me back evil when I did them good. And boy, did that get my attention. I said, yeah, I've done this guy good and he paid me back evil. And you know what David said next? But as for me, when they were sick, I prayed for them with sackcloth. I prayed for them like my brother or my mother. And God spoke to me and he said, you pray for him what you want me to do in your life or in your family. I went, oh my gosh. And I remember getting up from the table. I said, Lord, I pray that he would walk as closely with you as a man can walk to, with you. I pray that he would know you as deeply as a man can know you. I pray that he'd please you as much as a man can please you. I pray that you would surround his family with huge angels, protect them from evil, protect him from wicked and resolve. Do you know it was painful praying this? Some people say, pray what feels right. Pray truth. You don't pray what feels right. You pray truth. Pray the word. Okay. Are you telling me when a guy, have you ever gone through physical therapy? I did. I wanted to hit the girl and she was a girl because it hurt so bad. That praying took everything in me. And I remember every day I start getting more excited, more excited, more excited, more excited until one day, like five weeks later, I was out in a remote place and I was praying for him and I screamed out, so-and-so, I love you. And it was like junk came out of me. I'm not kidding. It was like junk came out of me that morning. And I remember that morning I thought, I'm free. I'm free. The torment ended. I, I, I don't do well with music. I, 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 my, 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 I start flowing with you, brother. Can, can you wait until I say bow your heads? Thanks so much. I'm so sorry I didn't tell you that. I can't, I, my mind just can't do it. I don't know how these preachers do this. It's amazing. I watch them. I like, yeah, they ignore it, I guess. My mind starts going, oh, I want to worship. You know, when the music comes up, they're saying, wrap it up, brother. That's what it's saying. That's why you don't like it. Is that what he's saying? I That's mean... what they're saying. They're saying, wrap it up, brother. So. Yeah, I guess the marriage conference starts in about four and a half hours. I guess I better wrap it up. Or would you like me to just keep going? Then you're in the marriage conference. <laughs> and you won't have to pay the registration. <laughs> 
But you know, seriously, there was, still, there was still something not right. Even though I knew it was free, I was free from the torment, I knew something wasn't right. And, and I'm, I'm telling you, I can't get away with anything between Lisa and the Holy Spirit. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, I like it that way. I like it that way. Lisa put her arms around me one day, you know, I was, you know, and she said, honey, you need to go to him. I said, no, 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 I'm fine. Everything's good. No, you said he needs to come to me is what you said. <laughs> and so I went out and prayed and God said, go. And I remember, you know, when Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, go to him. Most people take that scripture as, well, you did this and this and this and this, but I forgive you. That's not what Jesus has in mind. Look at the, there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. We were forgiven by Jesus before we ever said, I'm sorry, but we were never reconciled until we repented. And we said, I'm sorry, I was wrong. What caused us to repent? The goodness and kindness of God. When Jesus said, go to your brother that sinned against you, he's saying, create an atmosphere of goodness that's gonna make it easier for him to say, I'm sorry. When you say, you did this and this and this, but I forgive you, it's like, excuse me. So this is what the Lord led me to do through Lisa. I bought him a gift, a really nice gift, a gift I would like to have. I wrapped it up and I remember when he opened it up, he was stunned because it was a nice gift. And this is how I opened the conversation. I said, hey, I owe you an apology. And he looked at me like, what? No, no, no. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I do. I've been critical and judgmental of you. He said, no, 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 you haven't. I said, yes, I have. <laughs> Please forgive me. You know that opened him up. And you know that after an hour conversation, we became like this. And you know, we've been like this ever since. Do you have the right to be offended? Do you have the right to do anything? You have the right to go to hell and God will protect your right. But if you wanna walk in the presence of God, you do not have the right to be offended. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. Father in heaven, thank you for what you've spoken to us. Now, Holy Spirit, I'm asking you, please draw men and women to the heart of Jesus. Please don't allow pride to keep you from being free. For months and months and months, I couldn't get free because I couldn't admit that I was offended. I saw being offended as a sign of being weak and therefore I was too proud to admit I was weak. Some of you came in here and just as Lisa spoke, as I spoke, you realized, oh my gosh, I've gotten caught up into the trap of dualism that's so prevalent in this nation. I've picked up an offense by the rhetoric of this nation. I realize that I'm divided, I'm in opposition with others and I've been ensnared with the bait of Satan, offense. Here's the great news. You can be set free in a moment of time in the mighty name of Jesus, and it can happen right now. And there's an anointing here to do it. So if you're in this place and you say, John, I didn't even realize I was offended. I didn't even realize that I have fallen into this trap that our society has set. I want free. I want that freedom you're talking about that only Jesus can give me, the freedom that comes in the heart. If that's you, and you say, I'm ready to forgive. 
I want you to just raise your hand up high right now without any hesitation. Wow, look at the hands. Put them up all over the building. All right, if your hand's raised, do something. Come on, let's be brave. Stand up, I wanna pray for you. Just stand up. If your hand's in the air, just stand up. I'm not gonna ask you to come to the front. I just want you to stand. Okay, I want everybody else to bow your heads. And I want you to quit thinking about who really needed to hear this. And I want you to search your own heart. And the reason I want every head bowed is because there's still gonna be some people that stand up. I feel it in my heart. Yes, ma'am, thank you for being so honest. Turn the focus to examining your own heart. Not your husband sitting next to you, not your wife sitting next to you. And stand whether he stands or whether she stands, it doesn't matter. This is between you and God, not between you and your spouse right now. Yes, sir, thank you for standing. I'm so glad you did, you're worth the wait. Yes, ma'am, thank you. Yes, ma'am, thank you. Yes, ma'am, thank you. Many more people are starting to stand. Yes, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. Yes, 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 ma'am, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, yes, sir. Yes, sir, thank you for standing, sir. Anyone else? I just wanna make sure nobody's missed. Yes, ma'am, thank you, you were so worth the wait. I'm just letting the Holy Spirit right now. See, if you turn in and you examine your own heart, he's gonna help you because let me tell you, he doesn't wanna embarrass you. He doesn't wanna hurt you. He doesn't wanna make you vulnerable. He wants to free you. So there's a few more. Yes, sir, thank you for standing. You are well worth the wait, sir. Yes, ma'am, thank you for standing. Yes, yes, ma'am, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, thank you. Yes, ma'am, thank you. Just want to make you know. Just want to make sure nobody's missed. About half the building's on their feet, but I want to make sure that anybody sitting doesn't want to be standing right now. All right. One more thing while you're standing, I want to uh, keep your heads bowed. You can never ever forgive, truly forgive, the way I'm talking about, the way Lisa and I have both talked about here, unless you have an authentic relationship with God. I think one of the things that's really hurt our Western church is our, our coined sinner's prayer. The Bible says that a marriage, and that's why this marriage conference is so important, reflects the relationship between Christ and the church in Ephesians chapter five. He's the groom, we're the bride. So let's talk about a wedding. When a girl walks down the aisle of a church and she's got a white dress on, she's actually making a pretty strong statement. You know what that statement is? She's saying goodbye to 3.9 billion guys. She's saying this is the one and only man I'm giving the rest of my life to. She gives her entire heart, her entire body, her entire spirit, her emotions. The only way you can ever have a relationship with Jesus Christ is to give yourself entirely to him the way he gave himself to you. That's why he said, the only way you can be mine is if you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. So is there anyone in here today that says, man, 
I attend church. I've even prayed a prayer. But I have not given my entire heart and life to Jesus Christ. And I want to do it right now. I want you to stand up with all the rest of these people that are standing right now. Just stand up right now, wherever you're at. I want to make sure you're not, you're the most important person that I'm about to pray for. Yes, ma'am, thank you for standing. Just, just stand all over this building if that's you. You say, ma'am, I want that authentic relationship. I'm willing to repent, deny myself, take up my cross and follow Jesus. I want you to just stand up right now. Yes, thank you. All right, can we all pray this prayer? from the depths of your heart. Say this out loud and can everybody sitting pray with them. Say this, God in heaven, thank you so much for sending Jesus to forgive me. I'm so overwhelmed by your love and kindness. Forgive me for living my life separate from you. Today, that changes. This is a true Valentine's Day because my heart's going where it needs to be. It turns to you, Jesus. I give you my spirit, soul, and body. Everything I am, everything I have, I'm yours forever in Jesus' name. And now from my heart, my first act of obedience is I choose to forgive Forgive me for not releasing forgiveness. I repent of that. Cleanse me with your blood. And I choose to forgive in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give him praise for what he's done. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So um, I maybe got a half a chapter out. And Lisa may have probably got a quarter of a chapter out. There's so much more. Um, so both those books are back there. Go ahead. Can I do something really quick? Yes. You know, I love that this month is Black History Month. And uh, I just want to say something. I believe that the destiny of the black people is greater than their history. And even though I love celebrating the history, I believe that God has a destiny that is greater than the history. And I just want to prophesy strength and resource yes. and blessing over my black brothers and sisters. Come on. I believe that God is raising you up. As, as, to be honest with you, I believe there's going to be a revival that is going to come upon the black people. And I believe the black yes. people are going to actually be preachers of righteousness and strength and forgiveness in this last day's revival. So I just want to speak to my sisters and my brothers and the sons and daughters in this house to be strong, to be courageous, to rise up and be everything that God created you to be. And don't allow, don't allow the things that were cruel in your history to undermine God's destiny on your life, but allow it to cause you to rise up in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thanks for joining with us in our pursuit of getting closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.